0: Okay, now we're live. (laughs) So, um, like I was saying earlier, this week, I feel like I was just on such an emotional high, almost from last week, Priscilla just wrecked me with her message. And, um, you know, when you experience God, and you experience his rescuing, it's just life-changing, and it moves you to a core. It just changes the way you see things. It changes the way you hear things. It changes just your everyday. And after last Thursday, we're singing um, Reckless Love, and I'm just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing, and my mascara is going in my eye, and it's burning, but I'm still crying just for his goodness. And I went to the gym later that day and I was talking with my sister and my sister was having just like a really, really heavy day. And I was like, you know, today has just been like such a good God day. Like, you know, Priscilla was sharing basically like just how she had been so pursued by God. And I just feel like he's like almost just doing the same to me. And um, my husband had met with one of his good friends and his whole life has just in the last year, he's done a complete 180. You just don't even recognize him. And he was like, man, you know, I met with so-and-so today and he's just so full of the Holy Spirit, it's just crazy, it's just crazy. And um, after Priscilla's teaching, I was feeling like just so full of the Holy Spirit. It's just, anyway, so I was going to the gym and I was running with my sister and I'm just like word vomiting Jesus all over her. And at the end of class, and she's like, thank you. You know, this is so timely. And the other day, we were talking, and she's like, I just want you to know, like, it's just now this other girl that she works with, they used to read a devotional together, and then they got kind of the habit kind of trickled out. And now um, the gal is kind of going through some hard stuff, and they're going to read this other devotional together, the praying wife. And... um, (coughs) And it's just crazy to me how one story affects another, then shares with another. People that are listening, you can't like see my hand gestures, so that's weird, but anyway. But anyway, it's just crazy how it's just, like did you ever go to the Bayside Christmas experience where they do the candle and it's like you light it up and then everyone lights it up and it's just so bright. I just love that imagery so much in Last week was just such a reminder of that. Like When we are contagious of the Holy Spirit, and when God is working in us, it is is real, and it is bright, and it is vibrant, and it is contagious. And so, I just um, hope that that encourages you. And I've been so encouraged, and I've been as stressed out as I've been to do this message, I've been really excited. And it was really hard for me to find even where to begin. Example, you know, when you go to a women's retreat, sign up for a women's retreat, and you finally get some time to breathe, your kids aren't pulling on you, you're not going 100 miles an hour, and you finally get to see a dear friend that you haven't seen in a long time. They look you in the eyes and they're like, so how are you? Like, really? How are you? And you're just like, I don't even know. I don't even know. That's kind of where I was at when I started writing this of like, gosh, you're doing so much, but like, how do I put this into words? I just don't even know. There's just so much goodness. And something that, (coughs) sorry, I'm going to have a whole lot of that. (coughs) Something that I've just really recognized in myself is that I'm a passionate person. And when I experience something that is really, really good, I want everyone else to experience it with me. And I almost struggle with like trying to convince you of my experience or I feel this like great pressure to come up with this message that convicts you, thank you, and penetrates your heart. But yeah, I'll need it. Thank you. Um, oh, hopefully it doesn't spill. Um, so I, I have this pressure to come up with this great message to convict you, to penetrate your heart. but. Every time as I get closer to the message, I realize, like, so humbly that my words are always going to fall short. And all I can do is share what God has just revealed to me and share his truth and pray that he does some stirring in your heart. So, (coughs) you guys, I swear I only get the cough during my teaching. It's so weird. Anyway, so a few weeks ago, um, we're at church and we're singing Reckless Love. And the part that says, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, and leaves the 99. And um, that was the first time I had heard this song. And I was like, the 99, like, what does that even mean? And I had heard the story of the lost sheep before, but it wasn't coming to. And I lean over to my husband. I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, I don't know. I was thinking the same thing. (coughs) And at the end of worship, somebody on the worship team had explained what it was. And I was like, oh, okay. So then in my reading, um, I read the lost sheep. So I'll read it. It's Luke 15, verses 3 through 7. Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He then calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Okay, God, you pursue the lost sheep. I get it. I'm not lost, but I can think of like five people that are right hello Pharisee aren't we famous for this we need to not listen to or read teachings thinking oh this is really great for someone else to hear but instead we need to open ourselves up for edification or for guidance notice in life and in the Bible when a concept is super important it's repeated like on repeat feels like God is shouting at you you almost chuckle to yourself because it's so obvious Well, this week, there are three different versions of basically the same message, but with an increase of value. First, we had the lost sheep, which could have been replaced. Then the lost coin that represented much more. And lastly, the lost son. And these parables boldly represent God's heart for those that are lost. The prodigal son is one of the most famous parables of them all. The story of the foolish young brother who went to his father, asked for his portion of the estate, left home to squander his inheritance, and the scripture says, in righteous living. His money and friends were gone sooner than he even thought was possible. (coughs) In verse 14, it tells us that he became a, a keeper of pigs, one so hungry, so stripped of sustenance and dignity, that he longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating. But even that consolation was not available to him. And we see this picture of the son starving and longing for food. And we know that the father is yearning for him. When God sees our poor estates and the ravaging effects of our foolish decisions, he doesn't just sit back and say, oh, he or she got what she deserved. is filled with compassion and longs for us to be back at home with him. Yes, we face consequences but those consequences are almost the natural loving summons way back to the father. Then in verse 17 he came to his senses and it says, when he came to his senses he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to my father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. (coughs) I'm so sorry, you guys. Have you ever lost something dear to you? I lost Christian for like five minutes when he was two years old. <laughs> he was in trouble. He was having a timeout in his room. He was crying, kicking, screaming, and I was working on signs at the time, and I had gone out to do some sanding while he was having his timeout. <coughs> and all of a sudden, I don't hear his cry anymore. So I go inside and I go to his room, and he's not there. And I'm like, huh, that's strange. I go around the house, the front door's open, and I'm like, oh, snap. So I go out, I'm like hollering for him, can't find him anywhere, I have no makeup on, no on. And I'm like, "Okay." so I start running barefoot in pajamas around the block, and I'm like, Christian, Christian. Nothing, nothing, nothing. (coughs) I see this other mom playing with her two kids, and I'm like, have you seen a little guy that's like two years old run around? She's like, no, I haven't. I'm sobbing. Like, I'm thinking of worst case scenario. I'm thinking a car is going to back out of a driveway and hit my kid. There's going to be some pedophile driving by in a van that's going to see him by himself and swoop him up. I'm thinking literally worst case scenarios for everything. So I go back home. And I'm standing in the driveway and I'm just looking out and looking out and I don't see him, and I'm just like, "God, please, like, I've just never been so terrified in my entire life. And then I see his little wispies of hair behind a bush, and I lose it. And I'm just like such a mess, like follow and he's like, "Thank you, God, he's still here. Oh my gosh, he's still here. I was so happy. And I just felt like, okay, he's safe with me. I can protect him. He's okay. That was five minutes. And I can only imagine that every day since his son's departure that the father had studied those hills and those sunrises and those sunsets, just searching for his silhouette of his son to come back home. I'm going to read Luke 20 to you. or Sorry, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. We so get a glimpse of the father's heart. Do we even realize that when we run from God, that he yearns for us every minute? Did you notice the word that was used to describe the father's action? He ran. God runs for us. A prodigal child turning his face toward home, you can almost feel the father's heartbeat pounding in his chest. Nothing could keep him from his son. And imagine the boy's anxiousness leading up to this moment. Fear that his father would reject him, deny him. Remember, he was only hoping to come back as a servant. And no. The faithful father is running to meet him. Showering him with kisses is one of the most moving and compassionate moments that we get a glimpse of. It tells each and every single one of us as a child of God, as a wayward child, or otherwise, how much God wants us back in the protection of his arms. Being caught up in the, younger brother's story, in the younger son's story, we can miss, if we're not careful, the account of the older son. Both whom really were lost and both who need to come home. The younger son has returned. A robe has been placed on his shoulders, a ring on his finger, all while the older son has been dutifully, loyally working in the field. He's coming home. As he approaches the house, he hears music and laughter, and he calls to one of his servants. Note that he has a servant. And basically says, what in the world is going on? And the servant says to him, it's your brother. Your father has killed a fattened calf, and he's home, and he has returned safe and sound, and we are celebrating. And instead of having joy or relief about this news, the older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in the house. So the father comes out, and you know the conversation that they had. Surely for this father, the pain over a wayward child who is who had run from home and had wallowed in swine is now compounded with the realization that this older, wiser brother is angry. He's angry that his own flesh and blood has come home. But it's not so much angry that his brother is home. He's more angry that his father is lavishly celebrating this, that he's just so darn happy about it after all of his poor choices. He's feeling unappreciated and perhaps a little self-pity. But also, he forgets for a moment that he has never had to know filth or despair, fear or self-loathing. He forgets for a moment that every calf on the ranch is already his. And all the robes in the closet are his. And all the rings in the drawers are his. He forgets for a moment that his faithfulness has been and will always be rewarded. He who has virtually everything, who has been hardworking and wonderfully earning it, lacks the one thing that makes him a complete man of the Lord. He has yet come to the compassion and mercy and see that this is not a rival returning. It's his brother. And the father pleads with him. To see that one who was dead is now alive and one who was lost is now found but he doesn't see it that way <clears throat> earlier in the story we get this vision of the younger brother as a prisoner a prisoner of sin and stupidity but the older brother lives in some kind of confinement too he's haunted by jealousy he feels taken for granted by of his father powerless by his brother when neither are the case. He has fallen victim to a fictional character. He's up to his chin in water, but he remains thirsty. Up until this point, an older son who had been really happy with his life and content with his good fortune suddenly feels unhappy simply because another has gotten some good fortune as well. Who is the one that whispers in our ear? When a gift is given to another, it somehow diminishes the blessings that we have. Who is the one that makes us feel like when God is smiling on someone else, he's surely frowning on us? You and I both know who this is. It has been said that the enemy, that envy is one that many people don't confess. There's this old proverb, and it says, if envy were a fever, the whole world would be ill. It can resent anything, including any virtue or talent. It can be offended by everything, including every goodness and joy. As others seem to grow larger in our sight, we must think that we are smaller. (coughs) So occasionally we act this way. And how does this happen, especially when we wish so much that it wouldn't? I think one of the main reasons is that every day we see these allurements have one-of-a-kind or something telling us that what we have is just simply not enough. Someone or something is telling us we need to be more beautiful, to have more money, to be on a bigger platform, to be more admired than what we see ourselves as being. We have a fear of missing out. <clears throat> we are told we haven't collected enough possessions. Just check your email. Or we go through that we haven't been to enough fun places. You know, social media will tell you that. We are bombarded with messages of the world scale, and we are in the we are weighed in in the balance of found wanting. But God does not work this way. The Father in the story doesn't tantalize his children. He doesn't measure them up against their neighbors. He doesn't even measure them up against each other. His gestures of compassion towards one does not require a withdrawal or denial of love for the other. He is generous to both of his sons. If we're honest, when we hear someone else is being praised, it's hard to not think of ourselves as less praiseworthy. When we hear of others... When we hear of others' goodness and their kindness that they do to other people, it's hard not to wonder, am I myself a good person? Am I as kind as them? When we see trophies and rewards and prizes being handed out to special people, do we ask ourselves, why didn't I get that? If left unresisted, we can see the inclination is so embellished by the world That we can be resentful or get just a plain and accurate view of God. And we can become so destructive to ourselves. But how can we overcome such a tendency so common in almost all of us? For one thing, we can do what the two sons did and start making our way back to the Father. And in doing so, we should do it with humility and with surrender. And along the way, we can count our many blessings, and we can applaud the accomplishments of others, and we can serve others. That's a great way to exercise our heart. When we are lost, we can try to come to ourselves, but we're not going to always be able to find ourselves, and we are not going to be able to save ourselves. Only God can do that. We have to remember that this is not an arena where we have to claw or compete with one another. We are all privileged, so we can walk peacefully and confidently, without fear and without envy, with the Lord. And as we do this, we can help others, and we can cheer on every talent and ability or whatever is bestowed. Not one of us is less treasured. God loves each of us in our insecurities, in our anxieties, in our self-image, all of it. He doesn't measure our talents or our looks. He doesn't measure our professionalism or our our possessions. He cheers on every runner, calling out the race against sin, not against each other. So lastly, I'm going to end with a video. Um, Before I had even written this message, I was just sitting there, eyes closed, praying with the Lord, okay, God, like, what direction do you want me to send this message? And I so clearly heard Lifehouse skit. And I was like, Lord, everybody's seen that video. (laughs) If you haven't, you're not missing out. I mean, you're missing out, but you're going to watch it. And I was like, everyone's seen that movie or that video, and it came out like 11 years ago. Like, this is old news. And he just said it again, and I was like, okay. So I I YouTube it, I look it up and I'm a sobbing mess. I've seen seen it probably 20 times because it used to be like my video, I love it. And I'm like crying all over again. And I almost hear him say like, the prodigal son is a story that a lot of people are familiar with and you learned something so new this time. So you are gonna show this video and maybe something will be stirred in them that is different than the time they saw it before. So, I watched the video, and at the end, there's a verse, and it's Luke 15, 32. Hold on. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found come on. I was like, okay, you're right. Okay. This is so you. And I did hear from you and this is amazing. So we are going to watch it again when it's over. We can split up and go into our small groups. Um, yeah. Okay. The end.